Final Fantasy games have three things in common. They all have crystals, they all have a guy named Sid, and they all have fans arguing over whether they're really Final Fantasy. Welcome to Triple Click, where we bring the games to you. Today we are talking about Final Fantasy 16, the latest entry in the venerable series from Square Enix. Let's get into it. Let's talk about this game. I'm Jason Trier. I'm Kirk Hamilton. And I'm Maddie Myers. Hello. Hey. Hello, my friends. It's us again. I was just uh, I was just driving my daughter home from camp um, about an hour ago. Uh, camp. And by the way, Summer it's 87 camp. degrees here. It's brutal. <laughs> 87 degrees. But um, yeah. I'm taking my daughter home, and I see on the drive home, like on my street, a car with a bumper sticker that says Elon. And I like have this reaction. I'm like, oh my god! Like I have this like visceral reaction of disgust deep inside of me. I'm like, what the fuck? And then <laughs> I think about it for a second. And I'm like, wait a minute, Elon University. Oh, oh, there's other things called Elon. I enjoy that it's like a, a sign of partisan support for Elon Musk. <laughs> like I got it my is, Elon yeah. bumper sticker on, so everybody knows. Mm-hmm. So everybody knows that yeah, I'm a huge piece of shit. Um, so. <laughs> So everybody knows that my daughter doesn't talk to me anymore. Used to be. Used to <laughs> it's be very important distinction. Yeah. Um, hello, welcome to another episode of Triple Click, <laughs> a show that is supported by all of you fine listeners out there. And we hope that even more of you make this show possible. And Mm -hmm. there are two ways you can really help us out here. One is to go tell your friends to listen to Triple Click, which I'm sure you're doing every Mm -hmm. single day, like 10 times a day in the group chat. Every day, multiple times You actually don't have any friends left anymore. No matter what. So we don't need to remind (laughs) you. Yeah, there's no need to remind people of that. They're already doing it. The other (laughs) thing you can do, of course, is become a Maximum Fun member and... Join the network that our podcast is on. Help us make this show possible by giving us a little bit of your hard-earned cash. And in exchange, you get not only that warm, fuzzy feeling that I talk about all the time, you know, the one mm-hmm. where you're like, mm-hmm. yeah, no, I, I'm making sure that that mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Kirk and Jason and Maddie can keep making this show. But also, you get bonus episodes. We do a new one every single month. A new bonus episode every single month. We just ran one on the TV show Succession. That's a fun one. That's a fun conversation and a fun bonus episode. And we have got lots and lots more in the archive and more coming every single month. So do yourself a favor. Go to MaximumFun.org slash join and become a member today. One more quick thing before we start. We are starting to play StarCraft 2 um, as discussed for the predictions about this year. Um, we are going to play a little bit of the multiplayer and we're also going to play uh, probably the first few missions, maybe the first half of the Legacy of the Void campaign. So if you want to play along with us, we are going to be talking about that in two weeks on the July 20th episode of the show. We'll be getting into some StarCraft 2, so I'm looking forward to that that'll be fun but that's not what we're talking about today today we are talking about the brand new final fantasy game final fantasy 16 we all played it it's time for a triple play here we go this is of course the 16th mainline entry in the ongoing final fantasy series that started a very long time ago this new game is a ps5 (laughs) exclusive it is developed by square enix it is an action rpg and the people behind it both the kind of key head people director level people and also a lot of the um ground level people uh, also worked on Final Fantasy XIV, the MMO, specifically the original Final Fantasy XIV, A Realm Reborn, and also the expansion Heaven's Ward. Um, you can see a lot of the similar- similarities between those games. Final Fantasy XVI, we've all played it. I should say, so we've all played at least up to the second time skip. We're going to try to avoid story spoilers for the most part until a little bit later, and we'll give you guys a fair warning. We'll say, hey, we're going to spoil the story up to that point. Um, when we say so, but in case something slips out, I just wanted to give everyone a heads up that we played up to that point, up to the second time skip. So if you really don't want to know any of the mechanics or anything that happens up until then, then just hang on and wait mm-hmm. to listen to this episode. All right, I'm going to go around. Let's all talk about where we played, what our impressions are. Kirk, why don't you start us off? How far are you and what do you think of Final Fantasy 16? 
So I've played um, to the second time skip. You actually just <laughs> what? I guess Me I too. spoiled it. Yeah, I well, no. So actually, no, there's, I have a relevant point to that, though, is that I, we said we were going to play to the second time skip for this episode. Mm-hmm. And I played that far. And then I did keep playing, which I think says something about this game. It sure because does, doesn't it? I, I do have some criticisms of it. Um, I, I find it narratively kind of not that compelling or just sort of confusing and a little bit inert at times. But... It's also really fun and so spectacular uh, when it really gets going. When this game gets cranking, when it reaches the high highs that it reaches, it's really delightful. I mean, I'm just sitting there laughing, not able to believe what I'm looking at while just engaged in these unbelievable, you know, third phase boss battles that are just like Pacific Rim style just monster mashes. And it's they're really, really fun. And the basic combat is a really good time. And I'm enjoying a lot about it. So... I am liking playing it, even while I don't really even know how to think of it. I mean, it is basically just a Devil May Cry action game. I know you can go and get side quests. Does that make this an RPG? So far, at least to me, and I've, you know, I'm like 15 hours in, I'm like upgrading just because there's a new weapon I can buy every so often, and it gives me a higher number. But I'm not. there's no third thing, I suppose, and that's kind of what I'm missing from this game is... That sense of like some third thing. It could be like branching narrative or it could be puzzles or it could be, I don't know, something else. And even in a game like Diablo 4, which we were just playing, there is a third thing in that you there's like build crafting and there's a lot of kind of technical stuff to get into. And I'm not really finding that at least as far as I am, which feels fairly far. So the game does feel very limited to me. It is just combat and then cutscenes and then combat and then some side quests if you want to do them, which just involve combat. But the combat's really fun, and I am enjoying it so far. There are a couple more things that I'll pop up. There's monster hunting. Um, there's some some of the side quests. Like, yeah, I mean, the side quests are mostly just combat. But you just go fight stuff. Like, mm-hmm. There's no yeah, like, third I mean, mechanical thing. Well, that's yeah, that's one of the things that I think other Final Fantasy games have had in, in spades, which is lots of mechanics. I suppose if you think of a third mechanic, maybe it's the icon battles or like an extra mechanic in addition to the Guys, what about the act of time lore? That's the third mechanic. Is reading. Let me read actually, but um, I know Maddie, I want to hear what you think (laughs) and Jason as well. Um, But here is a a paragraph from a review I wrote. A review you wrote? You wrote this? From a review that I wrote. (laughs) Alas, eye-popping graphics and a cool battle system don't automatically provide a great gaming experience. Some third element, be it a collection of minigames, deeper side questing, meaningful choice, more exploration, something else is needed to sustain a game like this for 60 hours of play. When Mm. all is said and done... Final Fantasy 13 feels unbalanced and strangely unfinished, <laughs> like a beautifully constructed, lustrously polished chair with only two legs. I like this game more than 13, but I, I, it does feel very much like 13 you to me. You did go back and find your review because you did. remembered, you thought I that. was like, it's missing a third thing. I was like, wait, I think I actually said this exact same thing about 13. And I had that thought a lot. I was like, this reminds me of 13. Not in a bad way. I like the combat more in this than 13s, but it's got that same feeling of just like a tube that you go down and then there's cutscenes on the tube. Maddie, what are your thoughts? I I agree very strongly with almost everything Kirk said, but let me see if I can say it in the Maddie Myers way. Uh, so go. I'm that's what the people want to hear. The second time skip as well. I only have <laughs> a fourth time to thing play is the Maddie Myers way. A little bit, <laughs> a little bit more past that. I feel like the story's really simple, but the parts of it that I don't understand are almost entirely related to proper nouns. And for that, there's always active time lore, folks. And I, I sure have been reading it. So there's something to be said for that. I I really love the combat. I think it's incredibly fun. It it's is so exactly fun. my shit in terms of combat design. Like it is so in my wheelhouse that I'm like, I might beat this game despite really not caring about any of these people that much. And the more time goes on, the more I'm like, Clive, who are you? And why are you like this? And why must I hear you talk so much about Joshua and what is or isn't happening to him? Uh, But yeah, the combat's so freaking good. Um, It also kind of reminds me of the combat in Bayonetta 3, which is a game that similarly, the story really started to fall apart in my opinion. And by the end, I was like, this has lost me. But it had so much cool fight 
fighting mechanics, so many cool fighting mechanics and so many cool boss battles. And the part that really reminds me of Bayonetta 3 is that they included these kind of kaiju battles between the big Akons and uh, there'll be like really simplified versions of the combat for just those big kaiju scenes and you like move really slow and you just get to see these really cinematic things. There's like occasional quick time events, but I would almost not even call them that because they give you a really long time to hit the button and they call it like a cinematic stab or like a cinematic evade. Like they just fully admit to you that it's purely for the cinema of it all, whatever cinema means in video games. And that that is so fun to just have just pure frosting like no cake just frosting just gooey delicious frosting in a kaiju battle it's it's great so i don't know i don't know if i'm really gonna beat the game but uh i'm loving it <laughs> so after the second time st- skip at some point soon you will access you will gain access to a character named vivian who um, i just met her <laughs> okay so I was she very showed confused. me a big map. <laughs> so I was very confused about the story and the proper nouns until I went through all of her. So she has like you can run through the entire story of the game with her yes, and she, yes. her doing that and showing it all visually and actually understanding that like, oh, well, oh, yeah. When they say crystalline dominion, they're talking about a specific city and not like the entire Switzerland. Like yeah. region, yeah. Is this know. version of Switzerland? We're not just talking about the whole worlds of Final right. Fantasy, well, which you might like, say is a crystalline dominion. Exactly, <laughs> which makes it incredibly confusing. At least for me, it did. Um, oh, that yeah. helped me understand what was going on. Was seeing her explaining all the armies moving, and I, I oh, went yeah. through every single one and was like, oh, okay, that's what happened. Here. I'm gonna need to do that because I, I only, I was like playing right up until we were recording, and I was like just barely looking through those many, many pages of, of head shots of every character and they show them all to you at each age they've been so far and i was like oh cool 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 look at this family tree how they're all connected to clive this game might be a series of wikis i don't know that that's a bad thing okay (laughs) so what i think is really interesting about this game and i finished it um as i mentioned last week i finished it a couple weeks ago um i think there are two things that it really has going for it really strongly one is the combat which we've talked about combat rules there's all sorts of we should get into it more yeah we'll get Specifically, we will, we will, we will. But the other thing that I think it really just is incredible at doing is um, cutscenes in general. The production values, the voice acting, the staging, the cinematography—it's all incredibly well done. Possibly, so definitely some of the best I've seen in a video game as far as the actual cutscene work. Now, what's going on in those cutscenes is another story, and a lot of it (laughs) is kind of incomprehensible, if you will. Well, so later on, and you haven't even, you guys even haven't even gotten to the bad part yet. That's what's really <laughs> astonishing is that like, so I think there are parts where it really hits its stride and it really feels cool and the voice acting and the performances and the, the stage work of it all really sells you on it and gets you emotionally invested. It's just that like, you guys have met Ultima. Ultima, as he, his... Who as is that guy? As you meet him more and like find out what his deal is you will at least i speaking personally i got even angry here and by the end i was left so unsatisfied by the entire story because of him he is like Mm. one of the worst villains we've ever seen in a final fantasy game and this is a series known for really good villains so i think that like this is a type of game where because the cutscenes are presented so well it's very easy to get lost in them and be like wow this is really cool like look at the way these these people are moving on the stage look at their faces look at the Mm -hmm. the music and the 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 voice acting and the voice acting ben Starr, who plays clive is fantastic really good. fantastic um big fan of triple click so maybe maybe we'll get him on the oh, show nice. sometime um, <laughs> yeah, and and the direction really the voice direction deserves some some kudos too because that often plays a big role but mm-hmm. all the performances i mean ralph Ineson is sid and like so all, all of the voices are incredible um i think that can kind of mask some of the story <laughs> problems um and it certainly did for me while i was playing it uh for a while because uh, mm-hmm. it's just so well done yeah, let me let me give a little bit of my thoughts, I guess, on the story itself. I'm not finding it hard to follow, actually. I'm finding it very easy to follow, which I appreciate. This is more than uh, easier to follow than most Final Fantasy games in the first few hours. I would agree, uh, especially if we're comparing it to Final Fantasy 13, which I'm still not sure I understand. Or 15, for that yeah. matter, or even 14. I mean, a lot of them throw you into a very complicated Final Fantasy-ish world. 
it might just be the entry point of this being so similar to Game of Thrones. And so then it has that Western fantasy sort of European kingdoms feeling, which then I sort of innately understand from reading a lot of Western fantasy. But also it's just possible to follow it, even without the active time lore. Um, I'm just sort of I was like. Okay, I am aware of what is happening in this story. I know the stakes. I know the protagonist. I know what's motivating him for mm-hmm. a significant period of time. And um, our friend Chris Plant, uh, when he was talking about this on The Besties, mentioned something that I really related to. He talked about a snowball effect that happens with games like this where you miss one little bit of lore or like one reason that something just happened. And then yeah. you're kind of like the next time someone starts talking about something, you sort of are already a little bit lost and then you just start to kind of lose your grasp entirely. And then within a few hours, it's like stuff is happening and you really are like, wait, I can't remember why any of this is happening at all. And um, that I really related to that. And I have not felt that with this game, uh, which I appreciate. Okay, The problem for me is that the actual characters are really, really thin and kind of bland. Like I'm just, Mm -hmm. I'm not finding a lot of, character or anything to really hold on to in terms of who these people are and and what they want. Like I understand that Clive is anguished over what happened to his brother and that he's he's seeking revenge and I do think I think Ben Starr is just fantastic. These anguished scenes where oh, he has yeah. to scream out, "Holy cow." He's really good. But like that's kind of it. That's all I've really got. Um like you mentioned the Lorath voice actor, what's his name who plays Sid? Ralph Ineson. Uh, yeah. Ralph mm-hmm. Ineson is is fantastic. He has a great voice and like you know, lends the character a lot of gravitas, but Sid is actually not that well defined as a character. And he winds up being like, he has this like really revolutionary plan that everyone mm-hmm. kind of just goes with because he has some theory. Because he's such a sexy bad boy. I What are you not getting about that? Have you seen <laughs> him? Look at that lineup. Look at that that beautiful five o'clock shadow. He touches it up every day. <laughs> he, yeah, he. it's really his voice. I think the character <laughs> design is fine, but it's really the voice. Um, most of the character designs actually don't do much for me in this game. Yeah, I know. Um, kinda... But he, he like has this theory and then everyone's just like, oh, yeah. Why didn't anyone think of this before? Sure, that makes sense. And then they all just go on this radical plan. And it just is all very thin. And then there's Jill, who's the other main character, who is literally not a character. Like Nothingness. She is just, I almost feel like she was added to scenes after the fact. Like she is just sitting there while Clive reacts and makes decisions. And she has absolutely no personhood. So that the fact that the characters are missing means that it's cool that I can keep track of what's going on. I like the world. I think it's really interesting that there are these kingdoms and each Mm -hmm. kingdom has sort of one at least person who can control these icons, which are basically giant weapons of mass destruction. And whenever someone becomes one... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like suddenly there's a huge warrior destroying the battlefield. Like that's a really cool thing and they're all really distinct looking and you can kind of be like, okay, that kingdom is the one with, you know, this guy. And you kind of know him from, you know, past Final Fantasy games. Yeah, like, you know, there's Shiva and the Phoenix and Bahamut and, you know, you know, those guys. (laughs) Yeah. So anyways, I, I am just missing that the core of character at the center of it. And as a result, I'm cruising through it because I really, really like the combat, which maybe we should talk about some, unless you guys have more thoughts about the sort of general characters. Yeah, I want to share a few more general Please thoughts. Do. I cool. think as someone who's finished the game, um, sadly, Jill's entire character arc is just to change Clive. Like she exists to, <laughs> to serve Clive. So you will not be you'll not be pleased. Does she, with... she, does she ever become more of a person? Like, do you ever find out who even she is or like what like anything about does she like express a desire or like a character trait well she desires to make clive a better person that doesn't count desiring to not show any character traits is not a desire (laughs) the answer is it's very disappointing the way this game treats women in general could she have been replaced by a very sparkly bauble and would that have worked just as well well she could have been like a a gem a gem that cast shiva um so uh, a couple more things that I think are worth talking about, and then I will, and then we will get into the combat. Um, first of all, Kirk, to your point about wanting a third thing, I think that's an interesting way of looking at it. 
I think that like a third thing wouldn't have been necessary if there were more interesting decisions to be made outside of the main thing. And so I well, think the combat yeah. or sorry, I think the the gear system and the crafting and the buying stuff at a store is just so boring that it shouldn't right. even be in it's there. It's so simple. Um, it's kind of what I'm saying related to Diablo 4. Like that's the sure. third thing in Diablo 4 is you have right. all these decisions to make about your character build. Those aren't in FF. You can make decisions. Yeah. And so typically, I mean, like in an RPG and kind of the, the typical rhythm of a jrpg you get to a new town there's new gear to find you can upgrade your gear or in some rpgs it's like your main store gets a new upgrade every so often between story missions but there are decisions to be made there you can decide either your resources are limited so like the gold you're getting is pretty like uh, a squat like uh you're not getting that much in the first place so you have to make a decision do i want to upgrade my armor or weapons here what do i want to do here or you're given interesting decisions do i want this armor that does fire damage but it does less do i want this this weapon that doesn't have any elemental damage or do i want this armor that protects me against some status effect you're making decisions in this year and you're crafting zero. a party in a lot of those yeah. things you have a party and you're figuring out who how to put your party together mm-hmm. and who to specialize yeah that's in the other important part of this yeah is that it's not just one dude and i think that that is severely lacking in this game and it's just like an action game whose developers i guess felt like that people right. would be mad at them if they didn't include an item system and a gear system it feels like a devil may cry game not a bad thing but very very different from a role-playing game or a bayonetta very very similar to the amount of rpg that's in a bayonetta which is yeah almost none because that's not it's the point. weird it's weird to not have status effects in a final fantasy game and there's like yeah. so the enemy you fight at the very beginning of the game the morble is like known in final fantasy games for this attack bad breath that does all these status effects mm-hmm. it gives you poison and blind and uh petrify and all this stuff and in this game it doesn't which is so weird it's just very strange for a final fantasy game it's it's striking given that you unlock elemental attacks so you have shock and fire and all yeah. of these different but attacks, they don't but actually do right and then things. there's no so there's no they don't do anything like you don't need water to defeat fire for example no, there's no not. pokemon of it all not only that yeah it has no impact which is weird in a game where you're basically avatar the last airbender and you keep collecting all these different powers yeah sets. it's you just get weird. more powerful which is fun <laughs> but yeah, yeah. you I just mean, get more powerful you just get different sparkly attacks does it matter if you attack a guy with wind powers versus electric powers no but it looks nope. cool <laughs> you're in the volcano and you just do fire damage everybody and it doesn't yeah yeah the one thing in combat i think strategically that that i do think about is stagger versus um, yes versus health damage so are we very let's talk about the combat let's get it yeah the way it works generally is you kind of you're you're flying around i think the coolest thing this game does is the first move it gives you is this warp ability where you hit a button and you just zoom across the battlefield straight from final fantasy 15 Let's let's give some credit to fifteen for coming Fair up. With that yeah, though fifteen's combat I never gelled with. So it's 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 just a warp, straightforward, and you can use it an infinite number of times. So it's just a very easy way to get to your next target and to just keep attacking, which is very fun. And you start out with fire powers, and then those get more and more enhanced, and then soon you get wind powers. Then you can switch between the two. Then you get electrical powers, and I'm assuming you get all the other ones after this. So right, you are really Ang. You are learning to master the elements. Though I think there are more than just the. And yeah, you 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 really fly around and just try to chain combos. And it's the same yeah. thing where it's mostly melee attacks. You have some ranged attacks, but those aren't really the main thing. You can kind of use them to continue a combo. But because you're warping around and hitting people with your sword, that's really what you're doing. And you're mainly just using a sword. Like it's not like even God of War where you're switching weapons. You're more just switching the type of attack that you have. And then the one consideration, like the strategic consideration in combat, especially with bigger enemies, is their poise or their stagger gauge, which is, you know, was in 13, was in 14. There's always a stagger gauge in Final Fantasy. You're trying to lower it to a certain point. Eventually now, or at least where I am, my wind power lets me get them halfway, and then I can get a kind of mini stagger off on them if I, like, switch to the special ability and the wind power. So I'm kind of always thinking. Like, it, it is a really fun combat system because you're always looking at your enemy thinking about where their stagger is at where their health is at you're looking at your cooldowns for your big abilities because once you stagger them you do way more damage um, with every attack so you kind of want to save a few of your big mega damage attacks for when they're staggered then also you eventually get a limit break which is basically just uh, rage mode from god of war uh, sort <laughs> yeah. of that that kind of thing like you catch on fire and start doing way faster way more attacks you can parry but it's a little more about the active dodge where when you dodge mm-hmm. you kind of get a really free cool attack on them and it has a great flow i really find it to be a super fun action 
combat system, full stop. Not role-playing game, just a fun action game, and I do really enjoy that. And I will say one other thing, and that is I wish the performance mode on this game was a little bit better. The 60 frames per second mode on PS5. It's pretty solid in combat. It seems like they really prioritized making it smooth in combat, but outside of combat, it's like really kind of juddery like it's all over the place it's not stuck at 60 and at 30 frames per second i don't like playing this game this will be different for everybody but i just find it to be like this motion blurred mess i really have a hard time keeping track of what's going on so i need to play it at a higher frame rate and that just makes me think i might like this game better i guess on pc but it's disappointing that ps5 is so powerful and they couldn't just get it to lock at 60 frames per second because this combat really does work at a high frame rate. I mean, it feels like near Devil May Cry, Bayonetta, all 60 frames per second games. Yeah, there's also that awful motion uh, blur that like wound up making me feel nauseous every time I played the game for extended sessions. Yeah, that's more of an issue for at 30 for me is that motion blur Mm. is really pronounced. But yeah, it's 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 too bad. I was it's bad in performance mode Mm. too. At least it was for me when you're moving the camera around a lot. Yeah, I think combat is really good too, and you wind up unlocking even more icons as you guys alluded to. You guess correctly, you do wind up getting more powers as the Mm -hmm. game as the game goes on, and that winds up being your kind of like. Um, I don't know, you're kind of carrot for continuing to play because you're not getting any interesting gear. Oh, yeah. You're not getting any other interesting RPG mechanics. But there is that feeling of like, okay, cool. I keep going. I'm going to get the next icon unlock. And there are some really cool ones. I won't get into specifics because we'll stick up to the point, the stopping point that we talked about. But even, yeah, even at the point you guys are at, there's a lot of cool stuff you can do. That j- feeling of juggling all the all the abilities. And it feels like once you've gotten to three total icons, you really have just enough that you're constantly juggling you're never really that bored you're never really just smashing the the um the attack button which by the way i i switched it to r1 and then dodged to circle which i found same very man well my thumb has just been really suffering the older i get like playing diablo really kind of messed my thumb up and i'm increasing like i just can't do this like mashing the square button over and over yeah yeah the square yeah yeah, square it's r1 feels so much better Mm -hmm. since playing souls games i just feel that way um, and yeah, I, I really like it. I really like the rhythm that it gives you. I really like the way it looks and it feels. And I feel like uh, uh, we've already seen some fun YouTube videos of people like destroying enemies that are way higher level yeah, than nice. them by just jumping on top of them and beating them up, which is always yeah. a, a really cool feeling. That part is so fun. Like I, I can't even think if it's ever been in a Final Fantasy game that there's specific combos that they recommend. Like in my mind, that's like a DMC and Bayonetta thing that I always really enjoy. And this is not a tip that's going to work for you two because I guess you change your controls. But my personal favorite combo to do is when you press um, circle and then square really quickly and then whatever other attacks you want to do, like an ability, if you press them like right in a row or I'll just slide my thumb over you do uh, a jump in, I think it's called like charge or something like that. And it's just another movement mm-hmm. ability. Yeah. yeah. On our scheme, it's R1 yeah. and R2. You have to hit both triggers. It's a little awkward. Yeah, it's so fun. And when you're in the air, you can do like a Donkey Kong mm-hmm. pound slam, downward. That's slam, really, yeah. really good. And like just chaining between those and the different abilities is so satisfying. Like once I discovered that, I was like, oh, my movement capabilities are huge now because between that charge move and then the phoenix dodge that already comes with your fire set you can just constantly be zipping around way more and then also chaining between those attacks i don't know it feels like a million bucks like there were at least a few perfects that i got that i was like i feel so good about myself right now for defeating this dude and like i don't know i don't i don't usually get that feeling to final fantasy and it was really fun um, I also really like the blade charge. If you hold down the attack button, yes. your blade engulfs in flames and you do way more damage <laughs> on your next attack. But what's Love very cool about it, <laughs> and what's cool about it is that it holds no matter what else you're doing, and especially playing with R1 as my attack, I'll do a like four attack combo. And on the, I've learned now to on the fourth attack, you just hold down the button after attacking, then begin dodging and flying around and whatever, and his blade just catches fire and stays on fire until you release it for the next attack. So mm-hmm. you can kind of, it really folds into the combo system very well. It isn't like you have to do it and then just stand there and wait and use it. Yeah, you can yeah, kind of yeah. hold it in reserve while you fly around, which is is really cool, and I use it all and the time. And you can heal at any time, too. Like, you can just press mm-hmm. the, he- the 
downing a potion button as Clive is zipping around madly. And that's pretty easy, too. Like, it just Well, just that, so that actually, I think, is a downside. Because if there's yeah. one problem with the combat system, it's that this game is way too easy. Um, yes. I did not die <laughs> a lot. Um, even especially the icon battles, because there's no real decision making in the icon yeah. battles. You're just kind of mm-hmm. following They're the just splash. And, yeah, and they just wind up feeling super easy. There are some awesome moments, of course, and man. Yeah, they're more uh, like big cinematic they're moments. They're cinema. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there is a lot of, you do spend a lot of time actually fighting in those cinematic moments. So I guess that's good to know. Little, like it just goes road. on and on and on. Yeah, that's Well, so there's one, man, There, you guys are in for a treat if you keep playing. Because there's one icon, I think, that is the kind of the peak of the game. And it's all really downhill from there. But there's one icon fight that is just tremendous. And I won't say anything about it, but... Um, you should tell us off the air great. so we know where to stop playing the game. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like Kirk might keep playing the whole thing. I think mm-hmm. I will. Well, I mean, I might or I might play it again on PC to get that kind of higher frame rate experience and just play it again when that comes out. Because I did go back to Zelda and I was like, oh, yeah, right. This is one of the best games I've ever played. <laughs> yeah, I was right. playing Zelda. Yes, it's thing, like, yes. well, I kind of want to beat Zelda. It is a problem. <laughs> the timing is, you know, that's not really this game's fault. It's yeah. still very fun. But we should say, I, I want to say a little bit more about that outrageous drama cinematic like the the heights that these battles reach i really i wasn't totally expecting it and it is some bodacious shit so i mean which one which one are you talking about yeah let's, so let's the first run them down. time I'll, I'll say um i'll be vague for a second longer and then we can get into the specifics vaguely i will just say I was cackling with delight many, many times playing this game. Um, It kind of has like an act structure where you usually start and then you kind of, you know, it kind of builds and builds and builds until there's a huge ridiculous moment where like Clive is like, and now I will reach my true power. And he like ignites (laughs) and it goes full anime. And it's like like another person says that and they have a power and it's crazy. And it gets even bigger and then he kills the bad guy. But then it's not really dead. It's even bigger. And then he becomes bigger. And like by the end of the thing, you're just like, oh, my God. Dragon Ball Z. Yes. <laughs> and it really like the production quality on some of these cutscenes. They're basically interactive cutscenes. Is crazy. Like it looks so awesome on a big TV. It's just like monster mesh, like huge Pacific Rim. Just like, and it's like suplexes and like, like it really is like wrestling. Like it really is like an old kaiju fight. And it yeah. has a sort of grandiosity and a goofiness that actually God of War used to have and kind mm. of doesn't anymore. And it it fills that. It scratches that itch for but me. But DMC and Bayonetta still super that is very do. true. Yes, yeah. that that same feeling of like watching gods just. Cl- Clobber each other on screen while yeah. epic, epic music plays, and it's very cool. You guys can see why my initial reaction to this was, "Wow, a lot of reviews are going to misuse the word <laughs> yeah, bombastic." I, I definitely, <laughs> can. I definitely yeah. can see that. Um, so yeah, let's give a spoiler warning now. Okay, let's do a spoiler warning. So yeah. we're going to get into the story up to the second time skip. So if you haven't gotten yes. there, tune out and come back later. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I'll I'll remember to do this. I will put in a timestamp for you to skip to for one more thing. Because this is the last, this, we'll just, it'll be spoilers from here on out until one more thing. So here's where I'm going to say it. I'm going to say the timestamp for one more thing right here. Bing! All right, one more thing takes place at 48 minutes and 46 seconds. And Jason and Maddie do kind of get right into the spoilers. Not immediately, but pretty quickly. So I'm going to drag this out for a little while just to really give everybody time to skip forward if they want to. And the timestamp that they are going to skip forward to is 48 minutes and 46 seconds. Okay, ready? Back to the show. Bing! So I think, okay, so Maddie, so off the air, you were complaining a little bit. I think both of you were pointing out that like the game is trying to hint at, or, try, at or trying twist. to make you, trying to obfuscate whether Josh was alive and whether Clive was Ifrit and, and, and these and also, other things. Yes. I would say that's the first thing it tries to obfuscate is whether Clive is Ifrit. You don't think it's trying so to? So I don't think it's trying to. I actually think that it's the type of story where like you, the audience, are meant to know both of those things, both that Josh was alive and that Clive was Ifrit, and you're just watching the characters find out. That was my read on it. Yeah. So I didn't I didn't really but think it was like because it, it was they set up music stings and like when when Joshua removes his hood and they do like a big zoom in on well, his it's face. Well, still yeah, it's still meant to be a reveal. But like you it's know still it's him. Be... 
So. Well, but I don't think that it's like supposed to be a, a huge surprise that a guy who's named the Phoenix is like coming back from the, the sure. grave, the presumed I have grave. that in my notes. I thought that was kind of funny that he's like the Phoenix dies and Clive was like, well, I guess he's dead forever. We never yeah, found a body. <laughs> you know what they say about Phoenixes is once they're uh-huh. dead. <laughs> and everyone is. Everyone's like, it's so crazy how the Phoenix is dead. Again, no one's read an X-Men comic in this universe. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think. I mean, or I, that's not really, I don't know if I was complaining about that. That's not really a, a thing I feel. Maybe it was just it was Maddie. Me. It Maybe was it was me. just Maddie. Kirk, what's your complaint? <laughs> well, my issue is, or it's not an issue. It's just a thing I keep noticing that I think is strange about the storytelling. It's not whether or not people know one thing or another thing. It's the fact that they don't acknowledge things that have happened to them. Specifically, yeah. Clive keeps not acknowledging the fact that he is absorbing icon powers from other icons. And, like, that to me is strange. They're, like, it repeats the beat of, is Joshua alive? Like, I killed Joshua. I, am I Ifrit? What's going on? Like, that kind of happens a couple too many times where it feels like he's still dealing with that. And he's not talking about the fact that he, like sucked Benedict's powers out of her and like now has that power while this like mysterious voice said to him ah yes you're waking up there you are awaken your powers like it seems in that it is very clear to me what's going on because these are all familiar fantasy tropes but also Mm -hmm. that stuff did happen to Clive and he is sitting there switching between fire and wind powers in a way that no one in this world apparently ever has and yet he's not talking about it so that to me just there are times neither is anyone else like a lot of other characters are present for some of these interactions like Jill and Sid and none of them are like hey so it was pretty crazy when that big guy came out of a wormhole and said you were fated to like have a destiny or whatever what was up with that and when that just doesn't really come up for these characters so it just makes it all feel a little bit disconnected it's not the biggest deal in the world but it just makes it it's just like moving across some parallel axes narratively that aren't intersecting with one another and then that kind of makes me question the direction that we're heading in because it seems like they're Mm -hmm. resolving one plot arc well, actually, another plot arc already happened and is in motion, but no one is actually dealing with it. And it makes the characters feel more confused, I suppose, which is kind of underlines the thing I was saying earlier, where I don't really relate to these people. I, it also mm-hmm. seems almost as though I'm not experiencing the same reality as them at times. <laughs> and given that they're already so thinly written, I'm like, really, I'm finding something lacking with the characters in general. I don't even think we're sharing the same experience sometimes. But the yeah. cutscenes are just so beautiful. They really are. I I think that the cinematic evades type of game where like I I think at least for me personally I think there are games where like the incredible production values can just mask and make it feel like you're on this roller coaster ride where you're not even thinking about like wait a minute why is this happening wait a minute (laughs) that works half the time. Yeah. Well, so for me, in part because I was marathoning the game to try to get it done before it came out, but because um, I was playing an early copy, but for me, uh, I was not really thinking about a lot of these holes until later on. So yeah, it's interesting to hear you that you're poking holes in the story already. Well, I mean, I'm marathoning it too, and like I would say the the production values, the incredible visuals, that works half the time. Like when the game is doing those high highs when it's monster fights and think oh, yeah. the score is going out of control. Um, I should say, uh, Masayoshi Soken, the composer who did a lot of work on FF14, the composer for this. So the, good. Uh, the victory sing that da 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 It's like that choir. <laughs> it's so yeah, good. it's amazing. All the the whole battle music is just really is, yeah. is great. Um, when the music is really kicking, when the whole thing is blowing up, yeah. At at those times, I'm like, this is fine. This is all I need. It's just that when it slows down, the cutscenes do look really nice. Like when they're doing the fully directed thing with the voice, you know, the performance capture. But at that point, I just feel like I'm watching TV, and I've watched TV like fantasy TV, where like the characters are are interesting, and I'm much more mm-hmm. drawn in. Yeah, and I do. I find myself missing that in those moments. Mm-hmm. Mm. I'm in the same boat, and I think the comparisons to Game of Thrones really do this game a disservice. Like almost if they hadn't had so much of that 
in there, it would help the game more. And by that, I mean, if they didn't literally have like Jon Snow's pet wolf in the game <laughs> as a character who follows you around. And yeah, like Jill has the same along. backstory as Theon. Like we talked about this mm-hmm. uh, on last week's there's episode, like there's literal say. tropes, tropes mm-hmm. on tropes, which those tropes are really fun, but part of what makes them work in Game of Thrones. And I'm really sorry to get on my little Game of Thrones stand soapbox here because who cares? But the game is asking me to, so I will do it. In Game of Thrones, part of why those tropes are so fun is that George R. R. Martin specifically subverts them time and time again and makes those characters complicated in ways you don't expect. And he does it very intentionally. Like part of why those deaths on Game of Thrones are so surprising or, you know, whatever we want to talk about, the the rape scenes, the violence, the, the blood and gore and bodily fluids, like part of why all that works in the context of that show is that usually it's characters you don't expect to hook up or you don't expect to die. And it's the hero suddenly falls from grace and you're like, wait, what? And now this anti-hero has to do some shit. That's why it works. In this game, it's actually not ever subversive in any way, or at least not yet. Jason, no. you can tell us if it is, no, I but it, I'd like it if it had a little more meat on any bone at any point, but it just kind of doesn't, you know? Yeah, I think that it's, I think that the stab specifically at like sexual content, like at maturity, yes. actually. The sex position is so flat. <laughs> And it's it really it kind of makes the game seem more immature because there yes. isn't really any actual sex in any meaningful way. Well, because they're afraid to show any nipples or dongs, like just straight up. There's like Austin Powers bedpost in front of each nipple in this. Yeah. And you know what? I get it. But like, I don't know. You commit it's, or don't. <laughs> well, it's that. And it just seems as though they, they don't want to depict people actually making physical contact is the sense that I get in oh, a lot maybe. of these scenes. Yeah. Like for technical reasons? I think that that's because that's very hard to do. Technically, it's just hard to depict people kissing because that is like technically hard. So there's a mm-hmm. lot of like faces kind of coming close to one another as like I'm thinking of Benedict's scenes early on. Yes, yes, yes. But then also this is just a world that seems very sexless. Like it does seem like a it's Final fantasy ish world but right i know but like this is they're trying to do the game of thrones thing but this does not seem like a world where anybody ever has had sex and specifically <laughs> or is motivated by it or has an important sexual relationship that makes them do dumb things as happens on game of thrones yeah okay yes all of that but no i mean literally these people have never had sex like jill and clive are like besties they're clearly like sort of attracted to one another they're both really good looking people they have been touring the world just the two of them for years now after the second after the second time jump five years and like maybe at some point this will be alluded to but it's never even mentioned whether they've like hooked up at all and it seems like i don't know in a more mature version of this game it would make less of a big deal out of that but it would just be like i don't know part of the story is that they have some complicated like on again off again sexual relationship and like that's not in it at all because it actually Mm -hmm. is this like weirdly plastic coated world that is still like being like everybody says fuck all the time and like look this person (laughs) has side boob and so it just kind of feels like uh it's trying to have it both ways and it's it's succeeding it neither yeah. So, yeah, I won't get into what happens after the second time skip, of course, but I will say that the things that strike me about how about the story's problems are one, first and foremost, how it treats women, um, how it treats oh, yeah. Jill, how it treats Benedicta, yeah. which you guys have seen because it's not yeah. like Benedicta. I was comes legit back. disappointed that she dies. I was like, I think she's a fun, campy, sexy villainess. I was ready for her to be in the Super mix. Super fun. Yeah, man. So when I saw that, like, oh, she's sleeping with Barnabas yeah, and Kupka, oh, what's going to happen there? That could be really interesting. Is she using <laughs> sex as power? Like, how, how is that going to play out? Literally mm-hmm. nothing. It just goes nowhere. She just dies. And like she's the first character to be killed jill's character arc again i won't get into specifics but look literally she has nothing it it does not get better like she exists to serve clive and to make him transform to make to change him uh to make his arc continue it's really disappointing um and that to me was the thing that really stood out to me there's also the whole weird race thing where like they talked about how they only have white characters which because they wanted to create an authentic europe which like well and that this is a game about enslaved people like rising up and claiming their freedom well that's I mean, yeah, that's a whole nother uh, like, but even straight up, if you're like, you know, we're only doing rich nobility in Europe, so we're only going to be white. Okay, that's one thing. But then you go to a friggin' Middle Eastern like town, like country where everyone's clearly, it's clearly Africa inspired and everybody's just white and like a little tan. Super Mm -hmm. weird, super disappointing. 
Um, yeah, I think you make some good points about the plasticity of it all. Um, I don't know if I ever really expected it to go. I don't know. I, I, I guess I kind of like was taking it for what it's worth, like on face value and being like, look, let's see how this politics thing plays out. There's some interesting mm-hmm. kind of betrayals and warfare stuff here. And then that got really disappointing. And you guys are, <laughs> when, when you're in for a treat with the spectacle I mentioned before, you're in for less of a treat. Mm-hmm. I do kind of want to look up what happens itself. now well, if I just don't play it. it. Well, you'll you'll decide I'll if you want to play it. Um, <laughs> one quick thing we should end on. There's been a lot of talk about Final Fantasy. What is Final Fantasy anymore? Does this really mm. feel like a Final Fantasy game? I happen to think that it feels very much like a Final Fantasy game. In fact, it feels a little too much. It feels like they're stuffing too many Final Fantasy references <laughs> into the thing all over the place. But it also is missing some things that I really love about Final Fantasy. Specifically, it takes itself too seriously and there isn't a lot of levity. There isn't a lot of just kind of that fun weirdness that I think might even help it. I think, Kirk, I think what works in Final Fantasy for me, you play a game like Final Fantasy VI, that might also not feel like a game that people are having sex in or like that there is any kind of anything below the surface too much. But it also has that kind of Saturday morning cartoon feel, which I think helps make it feel a little more totally consistent. Right, that's not trying to yeah. feel that way. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's not trying to be Game of Thrones. It's trying to be like an anime-inspired sort of mm-hmm. story. And I think it makes the characters a lot more relatable and interesting and makes you grip onto them a little bit more than like the fourth dude who is big and uh, muscular and curses a lot that you meet on your <laughs> adventures. Or like the the third woman who, oh, it turns out she's a prostitute. Like, mm-hmm. it's just, it's, it's. Uh, I think that is what mi- is missing really in this game is that kind of lightheartedness that sense of humor that might help string it all together it feels like it's trying to be super dark and really missing the mark there yeah i would love if it was more like hercules legendary journeys or xena in tone as opposed to trying for game of thrones and then drawing the comparison that like oh it's not really subverting the tropes it's not deep enough the characters aren't really deep enough like you can just be corny you can just have a good time with some medieval fantasy tropes and some bustiers like that's okay but don't try for grrm i think one thing that maybe we can close on uh with this game is that at least we know this isn't what Final Fantasy now is because That's right. Final Fantasy always changes, which is a very cool thing that mm-hmm. they tried this. They did a Devil May Cry game that's also kind of like <laughs> sexless Game of Thrones. Okay, like it's pretty cool. I like it. I'm going to keep playing it, even though it obviously has all these problems as well. But it's nice to know, yeah, they tried this. Next time, who knows what they'll try. Like each one is going to be really different. And that is something that I have always liked and continue to like about this series. Yeah, right on. Yep, here's hoping they go a little more RPG. Even if the combat is going to be real-time, I think you need a lot more. You need to feel a little more like Final more Fantasy gear. VII Remake-ish. <laughs> that third One thing, thing. we haven't <laughs> talked about... Me, so the side quests, Kirk, to your point earlier. They're fine. The yeah, I should have said that. I did a bunch there of There are them, side Kirk. quests. They're not fine. They're terrible. They're like <laughs> MMO side quests. I was like, I literally... Yeah, they feel like FF14. Yeah, they're, for, they're straight out of FF14. There's like lots of sand. I talked about this last week. You're picking up lots of sand. And you That's guys, true. I mean, I did do that. You one. haven't, you still haven't gotten to the. Um, excuse me, those were soil samples, but continue. That's true. <laughs> There's more stuff like that. And you guys haven't really gone to the really like pace crawling, uh, just like um, the fetch quests that you have to go on between. You have these big, like incredible spectacles, and then you just have to go and find, go buy garlic at the supermarket for someone. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, that stuff also isn't good. And really, it's just the combat and the production value of it all that holds up this game, I think. And, for a lot of people, that's enough, and it can be yeah, enough. Yeah, not it was nothing. Enough, it, yeah, yeah, it, it really was enough to make it pretty to enjoyable. Get me through the whole game. The combat is most of what you're doing, and it's watching cutscenes is most of what you're doing. So if you kind of turn your mind off, you get through it. I'm very curious to see if you guys do wind up finishing. I'm very curious to see what you think of like the end turn and the final act of the game. But we'll talk about that down the road if you do finish it. Um, for now, let's take a break, and we'll be back with one more thing. <laughs> What is up, people of the world? Do you have an argument that you keep having with your friends and you just can't seem to settle it? And you're sitting there arguing about whether it's Star Trek or Star Wars, or you can't decide what is the best nut, or can't agree on what is the best cheese. 
Stop doing that. Listen to We Got This with Mark and Hal only on Max Fun. Your topics asked and answered objectively, definitively for all time. So don't worry, everybody. We, we got, got this. this. We got this. They can be anywhere at your office, in your car, and they are wrong. My mom says that the gray house didn't exist, but she's wrong. He just does it wrong. Someone in your life is wrong about something. Something small, something weird, something vitally important. Only one person has the courage to tell them just how wrong they are. You know what you did was wrong, but your daughter is a liar who eats garbage. (laughs) They call me Judge John Hodgman. Listen to me on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. If someone in your life is doing you wrong, don't just take it. Take it to court. Submit your case at MaximumFun.org slash JJHO. And we are back for one more thing. Kirk, Maddie, let's talk about what else we are doing and playing and experiencing and thinking about. Kirk, why don't you go first? Sure, I will go first. This is mostly a PSA to remind everybody that a re-release of a great game... Uh, recently came out and they can finally play it or replay it and that is ghost trick phantom detective it is a ds game from sort of late in the ds's run uh, that i initially played actually on ios in a very a very kind of compromised way that i don't think i can play anymore on my phone Um, it's a game that i I really loved when i played it though i had meant to play it on ds because um, i knew about it because this game is written and directed by shu takumi who is the creator of the ace attorney series and has a kind of similar similar aesthetic, a similar feel, despite being pretty different in a lot of ways. And uh, it has been re-released on, what, PC, consoles? It's on Switch. Yeah. It'd be great on Switch. Um, I've been yeah. playing it on Steam Deck. It's great. It's great on a handheld. Um, and is a really, a really just delightful game. So the way this game works is it's a story, well, kind of like a visual novel mixed with a puzzle-solving game. Um, it tells the story of Sissel, that is your character, a ghost who does not remember how he died or how he became a ghost, but finds himself in the middle of this complicated situation. His dead body is there. There's like a guy holding a gun on a woman, and he is a ghost, and he like wakes up and is like, what's going on? And then this other ghost starts talking to him and explains that, hey, if you don't want her to die, you can freeze time and you can start to manipulate things in the environment. And if you've seen the movie, the Patrick Swayze movie, Ghost, where he begins knocking things around in the environment and eventually like gets the power to sort of you know protect uh, Demi Moore that's basically what you're doing is you're kind of moving through things in the object and you know knocking them around and then eventually because you can only possess um, inanimate objects you're sort of like you have to open an umbrella so the umbrella falls to the floor and then you're on the floor which lets you be close to the phone and then you make the phone ring and that distracts the guy so you're doing these kind of Rube Goldbergian puzzles and each chapter is another person is in peril or in jeopardy and Sissel, unbeknownst to them, is helping save them while getting to the bottom of how he was killed and what's going on. And so there are large sort of narrative sections that play out. The whole thing is really beautifully animated. It's this wonderful, cartoony art style. Um, The animations in particular, I remember, were very cool on the DS. Like, it looks... I don't know, the way characters move, they all have these very stylish sort of slow ways of moving. There's this detective who kind of like disco dances his way out onto, onto the stage. It feels like a stage. There's a lot of spotlights, a lot of sort of stagecraft in this game. It almost feels like you're watching a, a stage production. So anyways, uh, I mean, I loved this game. I was really surprised by how much I loved it when I played through it um, on my iPhone. I, I think the story just has a lot of heart. It really goes some surprising places. It has uh, one of the greatest dogs in video game history. Yeah, I was waiting for you to bring up Missile because yeah, yeah, Yeah. Uh, Missile, an absolutely (laughs) missile the Pomeranian. Yeah, the hilarious Pomeranian. Sort of the id of every dog and every Pomeranian is expressed through Missile. Like Missile is (laughs) one of the like he's just always speaking in exclamations. (laughs) And it's Sissel and Missile, which is just a great, a great set of names. And it's, yeah, it is a, it is a game. game that, without any spoilers, I will say, if you play all the way through to the end, it winds up being a really beautiful and touching story. And I really was moved by it and loved the story in the end, which is actually something that I don't always feel about Ace Attorney. Ace Attorney will have its moments. There are times where I'm like, oh, I really love these characters. But they usually, you know, they're a series of sort of discrete cases that sort of tie together in the end, but they never really do as much as you want them to. This one really ties together. It's maybe the best story of any of these types of Capcom narrative 
puzzle, whatever you want to call it in this style of game. And, um, and I just really recommend it. I know there's a lot of other games out, but um, it's pretty different than everything else. And especially anyone out there who any of that sounds cool to you and you haven't played it yet, um, I, I do really recommend it because I love this game. Yeah, it's so good. I'm excited to replay it. I haven't played it since 2010, but I'm excited oh, to man, replay it. Oh, man, nice. Maddie, what's your one more thing? Uh, my one more thing is a movie uh, called Boston Strangler, which is an amazing heroic journalist movie, which is one of my favorite Ooh. genres of Me media. Me too. Love we them. simply love a heroic journalist. Are you saying folks. it's a, a spotlight-like? <laughs> yes, because it is also based on a true story. In yes. Boston. In set in Boston, yeah, at the Boston Record American, which later... Oh my god, it has Carrie Coon in it. What? Burying the lead. It does. So <laughs> Carrie Coon Coon is incredibly good in it and co-stars with Kira Knightley. The two of them oh, play oh, wow. Bostonians. Kira tries her best Boston accent and it's actually not too bad. Uh, and they both play... Kirk looks so excited. I'm watching Kirk, the trailer for this. How did I not this? know about this? And Chris I, Cooper? Oh, I'm gonna... I can't wait to watch I this. I loved it. We both loved it and I really enjoyed looking into the stories that the two real-life women reported on about the Boston Strangler and just the case overall, which is a pretty complicated case. The police, the BPD, good old BPD, fucked up a lot of stuff with this case, and that's a huge part of the reporting on it. I just, I don't know, I loved it, mainly because I didn't know a ton about it and then really enjoyed learning more. But also, uh, since it's set in the 60s and it's about two women reporters who are both married uh, and then have to deal with like juggling their families and the social expectations that they would not be working on top of getting these incredible scoops about a literal freaking serial killer <laughs> is just a really cool watch, like a very, very cool historical watch. And yeah, Carrie Coon and Kira Knightley, two of my faves. Love them. That's so awesome. yeah, highly yeah. recommended. Uh, very, very good movie. I haven't seen Kira Knightley in anything in a long time. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I want to point out that, so this is on Hulu. Um, it is. I want to point out that the fact that Kirk, who keeps up on pop culture and this is designed for this is meant for <laughs> yeah. has never heard of this i think the fact that kirk hamilton has never heard of this movie is kind of evidence of what i was talking about a few mm -hmm. weeks ago with the wga about how this streaming ecosystem is I not know. gonna last and how we're gonna it's... enter this world that is just a lot more condensed a lot more like the old the old way of, of things because it's the fact that hulu produced this movie that like someone like kirk I would know. love but he's never even heard of it is really testament it's really silly. And I, I feel like we were only marketed it because Dina watches so much true crime that is honestly mm. way too scary for me to actually stomach. And so it was on her Hulu, I think. But actually, this movie is not that gory. And it's mostly a journalism movie, which, again, mm -hmm. one of my favorite genres ever, especially if it's based on actual historical reporting and like how they got the story, which cops they talked to, who they had to freaking deal with in order to s solidify these leads. Oh, man. It's just really, really awesome. good. It's so good. And and I, I, I'm seeing it's like just getting okay reviews. So I feel like maybe this is a movie that's just for journalists. Oh. <laughs> like again, it's not so much like a true crime movie in the way that that some people might want it to be. The reviewers but, are kind of journalists now, or I guess they're more well, film critics. That's true. Or so I don't know what's wrong with them. I loved it. Boston Strangler, 2023 movie. It's on Hulu. Really, really cool movie. Um, okay, cool. My one more thing uh, is a book, a fictional book called Everybody Knows by Jordan Harper. This came out earlier this year. Uh, I saw a blurb about it in the New York Times and thought, hmm, this sounds really, really good. And it was really, really good. It is a book about Los Angeles. It's kind of a, a, an L.A. noir, um, so to speak, uh, set <laughs> in the modern era. Uh, so it's a very modern L.A. neo-noir, one might call it. And it stars this woman named May, who is a high pro or who is a publicist for high profile clients, who is one of those kind of black ball publicists, meaning she does crisis management. So if you have just murdered a prostitute in your <laughs> hotel room may is who you call and she comes wow. and she spins it for mm -hmm. you and she cleans it up and she uh she gets some friendly journalists like to write scandal about. like the, yeah. the tv show scandal is about yes, that yes. that type of character a fixer exactly that is exactly what it is yes um it is that type of uh and so it is about her and this character who's really good and well well constructed and then it's also about this other dude named chris who is kind of a bodyguard mercenary type um, who works for this company that is contracted by May's PR firm, among other places. And then as the story goes on, we find out that May and Chris, they knew each other in the past. They had a relationship together in the past. And they together, they call the Hollywood apparatus. 
they call the Beast. And they both work for different parts of the Beast. And as the story goes on and on, um, there's this big murder mystery. Someone dies and you want to know who, who and how and why and stuff. And it all feeds into the Beast and the, the Hollywood apparatus that they slowly untangle and find out who's in the center of it and find out what's in the center of it. And it explores power and money and sex and um, a lot of Me Too related stuff. And it could have, I think a story like this in the wrong hands could have been very ham-fisted and kind of really fallen flat. But this actually works really well. It's really well done, I thought, and really compulsive to read. Um, it's a really just well constructed thriller, um, very short chapters, lots of cliffhangers, that sort of thing. Um, but also not like a, not the type of thriller that you'll read and be like, Oh, okay. On to the next thing, like a McDonald's style, um, like a McNuggets thriller. It's more of a thriller that will actually leave you with some interesting things to think about. And like what, what kind of like, what's the role of truth and, uh, burning everything to the ground, and what if you are helpless because you can only do so much uh, speaking truth to power, and it really will end up like just leading nowhere, and how powerful, like if you're rich and powerful, will you ever really be held accountable? It asks a lot of these questions, and I think both of you would really enjoy it. It's actually just uh, also a very quick read. I read it in a day, so really easy to get through. So yeah, highly recommend this book. Again, Everybody Knows, it's called, by Jordan Harper. Uh, that sounds like James Elroy. It sounds like Black Dahlia or L.A. Confidential. Have you read either of those books? Uh, no. You like L.A. Confidential. I mean, that and that movie is also very, very good. Yes, it's in the style of those kind of like Los Angeles noirs. Um, I watched a lot of Scandal, so I feel like I owe it to myself and my <laughs> yeah, media yeah, health to just read this book because it might be better. Than yeah, that. it's good. It's it's a little depressing, but also ends uh well, I won't say how it ends, but it but it's not like <laughs> it's not like you're going to read this super and leave super depressed. Um the other sure. interesting thing is that it's set as like Los Angeles is burning pretty much the entire time, which is oh, kind wow. of a fun a fun mm. bit. There's a lot of fun imagery there and a lot of fun exploration there and yeah, I just really enjoyed it. Just really good book. Um okay, cool. That is it for this week's episode. Kirk Maddie, I'll see you both next week. Yeah, see you both next week. Bye. Triple Click is produced by Jason Schreier, Maddie Myers, and me, Kirk Hamilton. I edit and mix the show and also wrote our theme music. Our show art is by Tom DJ. Some of the games and products we talked about on this episode may have been sent to us for free for review consideration. You can find a link to our ethics policy in the show notes. Triple Click is a proud member of the Maximum Fun Podcast Network, and if you like our show, we hope you'll consider supporting us by becoming a member at MaximumFun.org slash join. Find us on Twitter at TripleClickPod, send email to TripleClick at MaximumFun.org, and find a link to our Discord in the show notes. Thanks for listening. See you next time. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.